0: All right. Open your Bibles to Second Thessalonians tonight, and we are going to start chapter three of Second Thessalonians. Now you may notice once you get there that the first word I guess this kind of depends on your translation too. Some might be a little different. But the first word in my Bible of First Thessalonians, uh, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter three is the word finally. Now, typically, we would use that word when we are starting to wrap something up. Maybe if you're in a meeting uh, and whoever's in charge, they start to try to get to the end and, and get this thing over, they'll say, all right, finally, here's the takeaways for the meeting or whatever. Uh, and so anytime that we get to the word finally here in scripture, we have an idea that the letter is probably wrapping up. And I tend to say the same thing when I get to the end of a conversation. Uh, It's just become habit. And one of the things that I will always say when I'm talking to my wife, and this is particularly when we're uh, parting ways. So if she's going to the store or if she's going to the grocery store or whatever, uh, I I don't know why I started doing this, but I always do it. And she's smirking because she knows exactly what I'm about to say. I will always say, I love you have fun. I don't know why I'm telling her to have fun. I really don't. Like, she'll be leaving for the doctor. Like, you know, you know, sometimes doctor's appointments are not fun. You sit in a waiting room and then the doctors do all kinds of things that aren't comfortable and then, you know, whatever. But I will always tell her, all right, have fun. And that's my way of saying bye, I guess. I don't know. It's just, she pointed it out to me like a few months ago and I, I still say it. I don't know why. But it's like this nervous tick, I guess, or it's just like that natural, it just feels like that's what I should say because that's what I've always said. But when you're writing things down, you don't necessarily do those same things over and over again, right? You don't typically get into that habit of uh, you know, saying the same thing every time you're trying to wrap up what you're saying. Uh, you have a little bit more intentionality, okay? So, Paul here, as he is finishing up this letter, Okay, we could understand this, that he's saying, okay, finally, let me just start wrapping things up and say the things that I always say as a way to end the letter. But I don't think that's how Paul uses, I don't think that's the way Paul wraps up his letters, okay? Uh, He is intentional here, and he's first five verses here. to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, so we're gonna look at the first five verses here. And so Paul says, finally, brothers, Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as has happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you you and guard you against the evil one, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command." May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So the two things that we see here in this passage as Paul begins to wrap up the letter is prayer, but we also see encouragement. Now, oftentimes, you will will see in in Christian uh, circles, at Christian events, at Christian uh, services like tonight... We almost not always use prayer as a way to start something and end something. Now, not always, okay, but when we start our service on a typical Sunday morning, it starts with me saying, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Fairdale with that exact same tone every every week for the last six years, however long I've been doing it. And it almost always ends, right, now we recently changed by doing a benediction, but it would always end with us praying at the end of the service. But now the benediction is us reading scripture as a way to uh, end the service, right? It's almost like a prayer, like we leave you with this truth of of scripture for you to leave with and think about. But it would be easy for us to think that Paul is simply talking about prayer as a way to kind of bring things to a conclusion, right? That's natural for us. Anytime we go to end a meeting here at the church, hopefully we're praying. Anytime that we wrap something up, we typically end with a prayer, right? But I don't think that's Paul's intention here. I think Paul is teaching us even more so the importance of praying and the importance of what we should be praying for. So let's talk about prayer for just a minute. So Paul says in chapter 3, finally, brothers, pray for us. Okay, so Paul is asking specifically for the church at Thessalonica to pray for Paul and Timothy and Silas. Okay, we see at the very beginning of this letter that Paul addresses it as Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Okay, Silvanus, the longer name uh, for that came. And- so it's the three of them. They're working together. They're traveling. Uh, they are the ones that came and they had visited the uh, the church here. Or sorry, they established the church here and then they had left. Uh, you can read about that in Acts chapter 17. How they had on- they were only there for a couple of weeks. It says three Sabbath days. So they could not have been there for a whole lot of time. They they preached the gospel. The gospel was received. People believed, uh, and they set up a church. And then they were ran out of town uh, by riots, and it was a crazy scene. You can read about all that in Acts 17. But now Paul has written them the first letter, the first Thessalonians, and now he's wrapping up his second letter that he has written to them. And as he does, he asks the believers in Thessalonica to be praying for Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. He says, pray for us, And then he says, here's here's what he asks them to be praying for, two things. He says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as has happened among you. Okay, so that's the first thing that he asks them to be praying for. And the second thing in verse two, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So there's two things that Paul asked the Thessalonian church to be praying for himself and Silvanus and Timothy. The first is that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored. Now, this is an interesting way that he puts it, okay? I don't think we typically would say, if we're praying for gospel advancement, that we would say that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. Now, we may say that we would pray for the word to be honored, okay? Because for the word to be honored means that it's being obeyed. We are honoring what God has said, and we're keeping it. We're obeying the way what God has said and the things that he has commanded us. But he says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Paul is asking the Thessalonian church to be praying, along with he and Silvanus and Timothy, that the work of the gospel or the message of the gospel would continue to spread. Now remember, at this time, Paul and them are doing breaking missions work. Okay, They're going to a place They're preaching the gospel. Paul's got that, uh, 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 however you want to say it, his code, I guess, is to go to the synagogue first, right, and preach there. And if they'll listen, great, but if not, then he's going to go to the Gentiles. Or his pattern, rather. I guess that's the word I was looking for. His pattern is he always goes to the synagogue first, and then he goes and finds the Gentiles. And so he's doing that everywhere that he goes, But his goal is so that all people would hear the gospel and to believe the gospel. And Paul is asking the Thessalonian church to be praying along those lines. That the gospel would continue to go. That he and Timothy and Silvanus or others would be able to take the gospel to new places. Places where it's not been before. But not just that, right? Paul is asking that they pray for that, but also praying that it would be honored. Okay, so there's really two things that he's praying for in this one thing or asking the Thessalonians to pray for. We need to be praying that the gospel speeds ahead, that it goes forth, that it goes to new places. And I wanna say, for those of us here at First Baptist Fairdale tonight, this is something that we should be praying for. There are still lots of unreached people groups all over the world. We should be praying for those that are out there on the front lines that the, that the gospel would get to people who've not heard it before. It's been a few months now, but but uh, for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years that I was doing youth ministry, every Wednesday night we prayed for an unreached people group of the day. There's lots of different websites where you can go and you can find information about uh, these people groups all over the world that have not heard the gospel, or if there are believers among them, it's so little in comparison to the, the population of the whole people group that they're still considered unreached. So there's lots of them. So there's, if you can go to Joshua Project right now, and there's a people group that you can pray for every single day, and it's a different people group. Some are really massive. Some have a really big population. Some are small. And there are some even here in the United States that surprises some of us, but there are people even here in our country where we live that we would consider unreached. They've not heard the gospel. They've not had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So one of the things that Paul asked the Thessalonians to be praying for is advancement of the gospel. Now I say that in terms of right unreached people group, but we also need to be thinking in terms of our own neighborhoods. There's a house for sale right across the street from where Sam and I live. And I'm interested to see who's going to end up buying this house and moving in. Because I know that there's going to be an opportunity for evangelism there. I don't know if it's going to be a believer who moves in there. I don't know if it's going to be an unbeliever. I don't know if it's going to be a Muslim. I don't know if it's going to be a Hindu. I don't know who is going to move into this home bring forth the gospel. That when they do, that's an opportunity for me to bring forth the gospel, perhaps to a family who's never heard it before. Maybe it will be a refugee family who's just moved here from another country and they've never heard the gospel before. So while we may read this, right, Paul asking them to pray that the word would go forth, it would speed ahead, we need to understand that, yes, we should be praying globally that God would be bringing the gospel to people that have not had it, but we also don't want to be thinking so big that we neglect what's right in front of us. There are a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with people right here in Louisville. As Chris shared this morning, we're talking with, there's a lot of Afghan refugees that have come here to Louisville, Kentucky after they have fled their country because of all the the unrest and all the situation there. There is opportunity for us and we should be praying globally that God's word would go forth and get to these people, but we also need to be thinking locally in my immediate circle. I love that Marshall shared about his brother. Matt asked me to pray the other day for his brother. He was going, doing stuff with his brother, pray for opportunities to share the gospel. I love that because we're thinking not just big picture, right, where it's somebody else's problem. I'll pray for it, but I don't really have to think about it beyond that. It's our problem, right? These are people that we know, people that we love, people that don't trust the Lord. So Paul is asking that we would be people who pray for the word of the Lord to go forth, but not just to go forth, but also to be honored, right? This is different from the word of the, of the Lord just going out, right? We know that the word of the Lord is going out. There are plenty of missionaries all over the world that are bringing the good news of the gospel. Now we need more. We need it to go in more places. But Paul says, also pray that the word of the Lord would, would go out and be honored. Meaning, that people would respond to it in faith. That they would believe. That they would hear the good news about Jesus who died for their sins and they would respond to that. They would believe it. They would have faith. Jesus, the son of God, was put on a cross for their sins. And that they would want to then obey the Lord and all the things that he has said to do. Pray not only that the word goes out, but also that it gets obeyed, that it's honored. But then notice what he says after that. As happened among you. So Paul is not just asking them to pray some arbitrary prayer like, okay, God, we pray that the word would go out and that it would be honored. We don't know what that means, but we pray that it would happen. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's exactly what happened with you. So if you're not really sure how to pray, examine your own lives, right? The church that was started there in Thessalonica and just observe how it happened with you. You heard the word, you responded to the word and it changed your life. And Paul says that is what we can be praying for for others as it continues to go out. If you look back to 1 Thessalonians chapter one, you can see exactly what he's talking about. Look at verse six and following. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, six. Paul talking to the church says, "And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that we became an example so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything." For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's what it means for the word of the Lord to go forth and to be honored. These people turned away from idols to serve the living God and to wait for Jesus who they know is coming back. Paul says, pray to that end. Just as you saw it happen among you, pray that that continues to happen. And, and then the second thing he asked for them to pray for, verse 2. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now, if you look back at Acts chapter 17, you see that there are plenty of wicked and evil men who are trying to disrupt what's happening with the spread of the gospel. And you really don't even need, well, you do. You do need to read Acts 17. But you also could just look at the news and, and see reports about things that happen to believers all over the, the world in the current state. Right? It's all over the place. There are people who hate the Lord. There are people who hate religion. And there are people who will persecute to no end because they, they hate it. They hate it so much. And so Paul, they're dealing with wicked and evil men who are trying to stop the spread of the gospel. They're trying to stop the word from, from speeding ahead and being honored. And Paul says, pray that we would be delivered from these people. That we could continue to do what we are trying to do, uh, even in spite of evil people's desires to, to not let that happen. Now, I don't want to say that we are surrounded by wicked and evil people all day that are trying to thwart our efforts in evangelization and and gospel ministry, but there certainly are some. There certainly are going to be people that we encounter that are hostile towards the gospel, that do not want us to share the good news with anybody. They're going to try and shut us down at every opportunity they get. But we can be praying for that for ourselves as well that there are going to be people who oppose the gospel and we need to pray that we could still have success in in taking the gospel out in spite of that. But then Paul says this. This is the very last sentence of verse two. He says, for not all have faith. What a sentence. Now we know that to be true because there's a whole world full of people and maybe in your workplace tomorrow, as soon as you show up, you, are, you know that you're surrounded by people who do not have faith. They're all over the place. It's a sad reality. And Paul is pointing that out right here. He's, he just says very bluntly, for not all have faith. Now we know, Paul says to Timothy, that, that God desires that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. Repent and believe but the reality is not all have faith. But notice how he follows that up. Look at verse three. But the Lord is faithful. All right? so here now Paul is switching a little bit from what you can pray for us to now let me encourage you. All right, Paul is such an encouraging guy that as he's writing these letters, he can't help but to encourage the people that he's writing to. And he encourages them with the truth. Right? He doesn't just say, man, I remember how awesome you guys were and I remember how great old you know, Miss, Miss Bethel's uh, cinnamon rolls were and, and whatever, right? He doesn't encourage in that way. He encourages them with the truth. He reminds them of what's true. He just said, for not all have faith. We know that that's a sad reality and he follows it up by saying this, but the Lord is faithful. Despite the fact that there are people all around you in every walk of life that don't have faith, be reminded, God is faithful. God is faithful. Now look at what he says. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now to, to be established, I think we have a general understanding of what this means. I, I've, I remember when Sam and I were young. We're not young anymore, Sam. Sam. And uh, we were just getting married, and there's always that conversation of, are you ready to get married, right? Are you financially stable? Are you, you got everything in order? Are you going to be able to afford a place to live and all that stuff? And I'm sure every young couple in here uh, dealt with those questions at some point. I'm sorry, every couple, uh, couples at some point, just like Sam and I were. Uh, Jacob and Emma are a very young couple right now currently. Uh, But I'm sure those questions come up all the time, right? And there's always that question of, well, are you established, Right? especially if you work in a secular environment and you, you talk to your secular friends about when they're getting married. Right, A lot of people are getting married a lot later because they want to be established. They want to have that career already uh, in, you know, going. They want to have X amount of money in the bank and, and all of that. Right, We have lots of different standards on what we would call as established. But to be established in faith is an interesting concept. It's interesting to think about. I think oftentimes we look at ourselves, maybe look at our own uh, hearts and think, wow, I'm not very established or maybe I wouldn't consider myself established in the faith because you know we're aware of all the struggles that we have and how much wavering we do on a day-to-day basis and the struggles, all, all of that. But Paul says, despite the fact that we may be surrounded by people that don't have faith, God is faithful and he will establish you. You see, our hope is not in ourselves, and we need to be reminded of that because oftentimes, as a Christian, I know even myself, I sometimes tend to lean on what I do and what I accomplish to feel confident in the fact that God has saved me. And I'm sure that's the same with all of us in this room. There are times where we feel like, man, I've been reading my Bible like crazy. I've been praying a lot. I've been encouraging people. And yeah, of course that's why God saved me because I'm so good. And then there's also times where we're like, man, I can't remember the last time I picked up my Bible. can't remember the last time I prayed for someone when I told them I would. can't remember the last time I was encouraging, right? And we feel like, why would God want anything to do with me? And Paul reminds the church that no matter how those feelings may fluctuate in our hearts, the reality is God is faithful and he will establish you. You're not establishing yourself, right? It's not about reaching those milestones of reading my Bible for X amount of minutes every day or praying for X amount of minutes every day or whatever you wanna set, God establishes you. But not only that, God will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, this seems really random, but if we're reading this book in context, we we are reminded uh, that Pastor Josh Womble just preached maybe one of the hardest passages in the Bible uh, last Sunday morning, uh, and that is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the man of lawlessness. So if you look back at chapter 2, we see here um, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, revealed whom the who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and will bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Okay, so there's this talk about the lawless one who's going to come, and I'm sure as someone is reading this, they're thinking, man, that sounds terrible. That sounds awful. That sounds like something I should probably be afraid of. And Paul reminds them, God is faithful. He will establish you in the faith, and he will guard you from the evil one. And not only that, I already, you already read the verse in chapter 2, but we read in, in verse 8, and when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing at the appearance of his coming. That's how minor the evil one is in, when it comes to God. He doesn't even need to pick up a sword to, to do battle against this evil one. He's going to kill him by the breath of his mouth. And Paul is reminding the Thessalonian believers that God is going to establish you and he's going to keep you from the evil one. He will protect you. He will guard you. Verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Verse five, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. See, Paul is wanting now to remind the Thessalonian church of what they are to be dwelling on. He says, we're confident in you all that you're going to do what we command. Right? Paul's an apostle. Paul's the one who who, uh, planted this church. Paul's the one who taught them everything they know about how to do church, how to worship God, who is Jesus, all of that. He's poured his heart out to these people for however many of them. them. He's now written them uh, a letter, and now this is the second letter he's writing to them. And Paul is saying, I'm confident in you all that you're going to obey. As you already are doing, I know you're going to obey the things that we command you. But then he also says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May you be reminded as you pray for us in advancing the gospel." as you pray for us to be delivered from wicked and evil men and as you are reminded that the Lord is the one who is steadfast, the Lord is the one who is faithful, the Lord is the one who's gonna keep you from the evil one, be reminded of the love of God. Be reminded of how God pursued after you even while you were a sinner. That he gave his son for you even while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And be reminded of the steadfastness of Christ. He does not give up on his people. He does not leave his people out to dry. He is not going to abandon them when the going gets tough. God will never leave you nor forsake you. See, Paul reminds us here as he begins to wrap up this letter to the Thessalonians that it is important for us to be people of prayer. We are to be praying that God would continue to do this work of advancing the gospel not only globally, but also locally here with our uh, circle of influence. But it's also good for us to be reminded that God loves us, that he's gonna guard us from the evil one, and that he is never going to leave us or forsake us. And if we know those things, if we know that God's not gonna leave us or forsake us, if we know how God pursued after us even while we were rejecting him, that's gonna motivate us even more to take the gospel to places where it's not been, despite what consequences may come as a result of that. It's gonna motivate us even more to be those who are warriors in prayer, to praying that God is. He's gonna, knowing that he is faithful, he's going to accomplish his purpose, he's gonna do what he has said he's gonna do, and not even the evil one will have any hope of stopping him because the Lord is gonna destroy the evil one with the breath of his mouth. It'll be that easy for him. Be confident in the Lord. Know that he loves you. Know that he's never gonna leave you. His steadfast love endures forever. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this passage here in 2 Thessalonians. We thank you for the reminder of how important it is for us to pray. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that we need to be praying regularly about the advancement of the gospel. And, and maybe this is one of the reasons we pray for the laymen so much is because we, we understand that what they're doing is translating the Bible into languages that have never had it. And God, we understand that there is power when the word of God goes forth. And so God, we pray that the word of God would continue to go forth, or as Paul says, that it would speed ahead, but not just that it would speed ahead, but that also it would be honored, that people would obey it, that they would bow to you as Lord and Savior. And God, we also pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness. God, not all have faith, but that doesn't mean that you are faithless. You are the faithful one, the one we can depend on and trust. God, I pray you'd remind us of your love for us each and every day. God, give us boldness, your steadfastness toward us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, give us boldness to proclaim the truth to those who don't know you. God, we love you. We are thankful that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.